It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Uh, back again at an undisclosed location. It is American Loser, folks. It's the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. Second place! You know it. Uh, I am your host, K.P. Burke. I'm a New Jersey-based comedian and uh, writer, or at least I used to be. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to not lose out on gigs left and right here. We're supposed to be with Dave Attell this weekend at Bananas in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. I was very excited about that. Um, that was one of my big uh, pre-summer gigs, if you will, I got all excited about. And, um, I'm so I'm I'm so sorry. No, it, like, it's like that sucks. It's cool. I'm actually what I'll do uh, tonight. Right when my Ambien kicks in, I'll have enough courage to actually text Dave and just say, "Hey, it really sucks to miss out on this gig, but thank you so much for, you know, saying that I could have had it if I if it was still happening." <laughs> <laughs> you want to so, be on my podcast? Well, I'm sure he would have brought <laughs> his own feature. Um, but uh, I, I was going to sneak in there as the host because Bananas likes me over there. That's a great club too. I hope they open up soon again too. All the Jersey clubs, to be honest. There's only one club in Jersey I don't like, and um, it's uh, – well, I don't want to say its name right now either because that's going to get me in a little bit of trouble. But it's not a club I currently work. I'll put it that way. So um, Kahuna, behind the ones and twos, best producer in all the podcasts. How you feeling, brother? I'm good, man. It's good to be here again. Like it, it You're is. the only one that returns the normalcy, and I actually appreciate that. Well, like we said uh, in, in the previous episode, we both wear masks when we're coming in here. We, we wipe down the studio. Uh, upon entering, and we wipe it down upon leaving. So uh, we take actual precaution. I'm yeah. actually kind of surprised. We're actually low-key responsible. It's see, it's there's a way to still live your life and then uh, obey the uh, the directions here. Now I got exactly. some friends. A lot of people know uh, I was stationed uh, with the military. Um, my home base was down in Jacksonville, Florida. Got a lot of great friends down there from the military and also from where I started comedy. And uh, they're starting to open back up. So. Uh, you know, hopefully they're gonna. We'll, we'll have some success with this stuff. We'll be uh, show some precautions, and then slowly but surely, places like uh, my home state of New Jersey and uh, our neighboring New York City can start to get back to some sense of normalcy. But it is what it is, you know. So. Yeah. I'll start my timer now because I forgot to start it earlier. But, uh, if you're new to the show, typically what it is is that uh, the Kahuna has been our producer since day one, right? We're over here at a Shared Universe uh, podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming take great care of us. What a great undisclosed location. Exactly. So, <laughs> at some point, we're just like, we've, we've, <laughs> we've outed ourselves enough. Pay um, no attention to the man behind the curtain. Exactly. So, uh, but for plausible deniability, an undisclosed location that Mike and Ming own. Um, <laughs> so... No, but we're uh, we're doing the show here. Typically, it's my father and I. My father is a retired shop teacher, former uh, Boy Scout troop leader, and uh, all-around uh, handyman, Larry Burke. He is still stuck in South Beach with my mother. And by the way, real quickly, I know, uh, uh, you know we've gotten to know each other pretty good over the, the year and a half or so we've been doing the show. So I know Kahuna's got some love for his Mama Dukes. I, I'm a big mama's boy, too. So <laughs> happy Mother's Day to the ladies out happy there. Happy Mother's Day. So Hi, Mom. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's going to be listening to this down at uh, the pool over in Pompano Beach, Florida, with uh, her feet up on uh, hopefully some sort of a, a reclining chair. She deserves that much. Um, 
It is hilarious, though. My mother's an Armenian woman. I'm adopted, so that's why I'm Irish, and she's, she's not. Um, but uh, she's an Armenian woman, and she, uh, she goes down to Florida, leaving looking Armenian, right? And upon return, after you know a couple of months out in the sun, uh, Puerto Rican. So <laughs> she comes back. She comes back dark, dude. Oh wow! So it's fine. We we, we joke. I put my forearm out Welcome next to, to hers. Welcome to the club, KP's mom. That's <laughs> well. It's funny because we'll put out my arm next to her forearm or something like that, and she's got this nice like you know tan. Because the, the Armenians, they're like the Greeks, man. You know, they can survive in the sun. You, on the other hand, you turn into a vampire. No, you can literally see my veins. That is that's why. <laughs> When I whenever I see junkies, uh, you know, in the streets or something, like that, they always just start licking their lips, looking at my forearms, like, mm, we could work with that. <laughs> that may be one of the most uncomfortable things I think you've ever said on this. Oh it, my god. Yeah, but it uh, it is what it, it looks like a roadmap when I put my forearm out. So that's. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, man, we got uh, I want to say thank you real quickly. This studio time today is paid for by our listeners. So thank you so much to everybody who's been donating to the Patreon already. Wait a minute, is this the first episode you're not losing money on? Well, I, it, we're breaking even on this episode. Uh, <laughs> the, the rest of my expenditures for the month, because now, if you remember, if you are a Patreon donor, you do get that fifth episode. That's true. So we uh-huh. got uh, we are giving you, uh, you'll still get a weekly episode for free, even if you, you don't have the money, I understand it. Um, if you feel like buying me a cup of coffee, that's, that's all we're asking for. Uh, a minimum donation of five bucks gets you guaranteed to receive a fifth bonus episode every month. And uh, pretty soon, uh, pending uh, Florida's slow reopening and my parents uh, losing their goddamn minds being confined to a condo, um, Larry Burke needs a garage to work in. So he's going to be one. He'll, he'll come back to Jersey shortly, and then we'll be able to, to give you the, the true run of the show again, where it's the three of us in studio bullshitting. Yeah, where I get to sit quietly and just listen. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to talk, and look what you made me do. Well, I'll tell you, this one's going to be an easy one for you here, because uh, I'm, I'm going to throw a name out. Are you assuming that I'm a simpleton? My my pop filter just <laughs> <laughs> as my pop falls on it. <laughs> Never mind. I forget wh- where I heard it the first time, but it always makes me laugh when someone goes, "I don't know what that word means," so I'm going to take it as a threat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that sounds like I told you that. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a good name for you here. I'm going to say the guy's name, and okay. I don't know if you're going to know him right away, but you're going to know a lot of people that he's associated with. Okay. So, and I think this is a good. We talk about the loser scale, you know, where it's good people that had bad things happen to them, mm-hmm. and there's bad people that are just awful, and we want to call them losers to shame them, you yeah. know, like a Charles J. Gateau or <laughs> anybody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this one in particular, this guy falls into the category of uh, outstanding human being that had some tragic luck befall him. Uh, okay. So this is a sympathetic loser here, if ever there was one. So on the lower end of the scale. Yeah. Okay. And uh, without uh, further ado, this is going to be this week's American loser, Gus Grissom. So, it's a go. Oh, Kahuna's already pondering. He kind of knows that the name. That name is familiar. From where? I don't know. But, yeah. Wait a minute. Well, okay. real, real quick, too. They're not an official sponsor. I certainly would like them to be because I've been enjoying their product for a long time. I'm having a K-cup of uh, uh, Death Wish coffee right now here at the studio. And you're going to hear, we're going to start off slow, and then I'm going to have cocaine energy the rest of the second <laughs> half of the year. Um, but uh, born in 1805, everything is going to be fine and everything. Exactly. <laughs> it's so just if, uh, gonna be like that towards the end of the episode. So if we got people that want to throw out some sponsors or something like that, let me know, man. I'm trying to do this thing full time here for everybody. Um, but we're going to start this episode off right. So uh, perfect quote here, right? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Right, Cahoons? I'm a, 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> My dumbass was like, oh, God, no. I was like, oh, that's Gus. That's his quote. And I was like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody should know that quote for the most part. But uh, yeah. that was uh, – supposedly that was uh, – he was misquoted, they say, too. But that was Neil Armstrong, uh, also known as the first man to step foot on the moon. So – Bit of a game changer of a moment for the entire world and a glorious moment in the space race against uh, the then Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and as well, we would later become Mother Russia. <laughs> well, Russia is always fascinating. There, there's never a dull moment in their entire history. That's very true. So, <laughs> duh. Um, hang on one second here. We don't have the the benefit of a mute button on these bad boys, so I got to uh, I got to be careful here. But uh, the Soviets, uh, I don't know if you know this. Do you know anything about the space race? Uh, my knowledge is there, but it's very limited. I'm not going to lie. I'll, but it still fascinates me regardless. I do know that once, like, once, uh, shoot. This is actually in a movie that I love called October Sky. Uh, my father loves that movie. Too. I love that movie. That's one of my <laughs> favorites. But there was, uh, something launched and then that just kind of kicked. Basically, just kickstarted the space race. Uh, Sputnik. Sputnik would yes. have gone up, <clears throat> but uh, it's interesting. Russia actually beat us on one uh, particular um, instance. They sent the first man into space. It was uh, Yuri Gagarin. I did a report on him in uh, elementary school. I want to say. Okay. Um, so he was a cosmonaut. They were known as, and he had a funny story about coming back and landing in Russia. That he landed on a farm somewhere, mm-hmm. and. Uh, now these poor, you know, Russians, uh, Russian farmers or whatever are walking out and they see literally like a Michael J. Fox back to the future, kind of an alien moment. It looks like an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> without wings. So uh, then uh, he goes up, he goes, it's okay, I am Soviet, you know, to try to let everybody know it's okay. And then the farmer just shoots at him, take that, you mutated <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, man, you can't, you can't make a back to the future reference without me delving into it. I apologize. Continue. No worries, man. No worries. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that was Yuri A. Gagarin. He was the first man in space launched by the Soviets. Now, the U.S. had had hopes of being first, but unfortunately, as we know now, it just wasn't meant to be. So uh, the first American in space. It's okay. I, I forgot his name, too, but as soon as you see the name, you remember it immediately. It was uh, Alan Shepard. Okay. Yeah, and that was in 1961. They, they put him up into space. So now, the, when did Neil go up? What was the time difference? Well, uh, the space race is going to be because you have to first of all because it, it was Apollo eleven was the one that landed on the moon. Okay, right, that was the first uh, landing on the moon or lunar landing, I guess you'd call it. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was wild because you had uh, Apollo eleven, so that would mean that there was at least a couple of ships before Apollo eleven, right? Oh yeah, I'll again October Sky. There's this um, funny ass montage of of Homer just watching the failures of NASA, <laughs> <laughs> just constantly like we're almost there, we're almost there. Nope. It is, um, yeah, it, it, dude. It, it's wild. The idea, because I mean, I grew up with it. You and I both grew up with it. it space, yeah, space exploration was already happening. Yeah. So, imagine seeing a sci-fi movie. You know, in like the 1940s, and then 20 years later, they're actually, actually doing this stuff. Happening. Yeah, so 20 years from now, when you and I are recording um, in our Iron Man suits as we fly uh, towards the sun, you know. Um, but what an uh, interesting podcast. It oh. would be. It's a, <laughs> but the space race to the moon is uh, the next game here. So we all know a lot of the names involved here. You got NASA, you know, JFK, who unfortunately, you know, he was instrumental in. Uh, 
pursuing the space race as part of the American uh, ideals, like a, something to hang your hat on, a proud moment here. Uh, Apollo 11, as, which, as we know, is the, the mission that lands. Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, who got forced to stay in there. So Neil Armstrong, the first man to step foot on uh, Earth. And uh, who was the second man to step foot on the moon? Kahuna? Second man. Is it the boy that you mentioned earlier? No, it's uh, Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin. Mm. So, oh, the American badass. Yeah. Well, is, he, is this the Buzz is the guy that someone accused him of faking going up there? And he punched him. And he punched him yeah. in the face. Yeah. Yeah, that's I wild. love Buzz. <laughs> uh, well, it, Buzz has a little attitude, maybe a little East Coast attitude, because he's from. No. Montclair, New Jersey. No shit. Yep. Technically born in Glen Ridge, and then he. Uh, but he, I believe he was educated at Montclair High School, where both my mother and my Aunt Linda went to school. Wow. So, yeah. That's all, did he go to Montclair State? Uh, I don't know about his college uh, aspirations, but um, it is amusing to me that also uh, another per- – because um, then Larry Doby's kids um, wound up uh, going to school in Montclair as well. So that's a little loserception from the Satchel Page <laughs> episode. But wow. that's, that's about as much of a loserception as we're going to get today here, unfortunately. But uh, I mean, we're, this is kind of the furthest into the modern era we go as losers. Yes. Like, um, I think this is like we're in the 60s now. So we're I think, in the 60s because remember, we, we did the hard hat riots. Yeah. But so. at the same time, this one is just kind of, I don't know, I feel like it's a, a little bit more poignant at the same time. I oh, mean, yeah. But still, regardless, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Well, I think you're going to like this then, because uh, before those guys get their chance to shine with Apollo uh, 11, okay. NASA has to figure out the science to even make this shit possible, because otherwise it just sounds like... For every winner, there's going to be some losers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> well, it kind of sounds like, um, you know, if you really think about it, the space program, unless you're... There's two types of people that talked about going into space. Hyper geniuses, like engineering minds, brilliant people who are so complex in the way that they think that it's almost impossible to have a conversation with them because they're they're doing too many things at once. And then there's the the nut job adrenaline junkies. A little bit of that too, but and then there's also like I like to picture a guy who just uh, you know, just just you know, took acid or something like that. He's, you know what, man? We should like we should like walk on the moon. What Dave? Dave's not here. <laughs> What? You know, oh, so Gonzo, basically. <laughs> you're, what you're describing is a Muppet. Okay. You ain't wrong. You ain't wrong. Way to bring it back to family friendly. I respect that. <laughs> so, uh, but with NASA, you're going to need a couple of wild people here, man. You got to figure out. You got to have the the scientists. You got to have the uh, the almost the uh, the professional bull rider mentality of like, you know, I know I'm going to get hurt, but I want to see how long I can go before <laughs> I get hurt. You need those guys and the astronauts, man. These are space cowboys, literally. So. Like any scientific endeavor, this requires trials, errors, controls, variables, and of course, the aforementioned guinea pigs. So, mm. uh, this week's American loser is the occasionally controversial, but always badass. Unfortunately, he is the uh, the forgotten man of NASA in a lot of ways. Virgil Ivan Gus Grissom. Okay, Gus Grissom's just a good name anyway. If you yeah. if you were like, who's who are you here to see? Gus Grissom. So. Um, Known as Gus to his friends and his family, the one-day astronaut was born in Indiana on April 3rd, 1926. Okay? 1926, Kahuna. Wow. So his father worked for the Baltimore, Ohio Railroad, and his mother was a homemaker. Uh, Parents supported him quite a bit. Gus was uh, this kind of like an all-American kind of kid. You know, you're out in the Midwest. Um, He delivered newspapers. He was a member of the Boy Scouts. Uh, He enjoyed fishing and hunting. 
and uh, worked various jobs around his small town of Mitchell, Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like a leave it to beaver kind of an existence, right? <laughs> so, uh, but from a very young age, Gus is obsessed with flight, almost like you were saying earlier with October Sky. People, the idea of this is so monumental for the time. Like, th there's yeah. planes, you know what I mean? But the planes are still fun to look at, by the way. Oh, yeah, especially at the time, because they're still, they're relatively brand new. So with this, it's very much like, oh, my God, the... The ten cent comic books are are real now. Yes, like this is amazing. So of course there's going to be some like celebrity to it. Like it's it, it it's was expected. wild, man. I mean, we, too, we covered with uh, Lindbergh was uh, the most famous man in America. Amelia Earhart, another fa because aviation. This is it, it's part stuntman, we're part scientist. We're landlocked birds. We want to be in the sky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, even looking at planes is still cool because. Uh, uh, Uncle Paul, uh, he's got this uh, back deck uh, built up, comes right out from the upstairs, so you hang out up there. It's just like, it's the best social gathering point of uh, uh, their house. So whenever they have a, a, you know, the holidays are there or something like that, inevitably we all wind up outside, you know, smoking cigars or just, you know, getting some air or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so my godfather Greg and I and uh, Uncle Paul are sitting, you know, sitting out back the other night just smoking cigars and we're sitting there like, oh, that's Venus right there. You could see Venus right now with um, all this. Uh, and I thought your meme you posted was hilarious when you said if you, uh, due to the reduced um, pollution right now. Oh, you could see the Universal logo <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let man. me tell you, man, when, my, when, I, when that got sent to me, I was actually on the floor. I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> like, it's just great. Oh, man. Well, it was enjoyable, man. But, Thank uh, you for that. <laughs> oh, no problem, dude. So Gus gets oh, he gets hooked the way that you and I are getting hooked right now, even just thinking about the idea. He gets obsessed with flight. So as a oh, boy, don't get it twisted. I would never be an astronaut. <laughs> I think it's the coolest thing ever, but I don't have the stones to go onto another planet. When what age were you when you realized that though? Oof. Uh when I realized that we almost lost Big Bird because of it. Interesting. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but no, truthfully. I don't know. Like it's just like I feel like you do have to have a, a a sense of craziness to do that. I have a sense of craziness in the aspect of like creativity and shit like that, but like in in terms of going onto another planet, nah, I don't know about all that. Right. Especially in trusting technology that we're still technically in primitive stages of. Well, uh, these guys had balls of steel in order to get involved in these programs, man. Big facts. But um, so, like, how does one become an astronaut? Though, like, you do have to go through the, the army and the navy and stuff like that, right? Uh, yes. Now, where it gets interesting here is that this is the start of NASA. So, when it comes to NASA, you know a couple of things. People tend to know about Alan Shepard. Everybody knows about Apollo Eleven. Because of the movie, most people are aware of Apollo Thirteen. And then, unfortunately, the space shuttle Challenger always pops into people's minds. So, where do you think the Big Bird thing came from? Yeah, NASA's mm -hmm. greatest hits and misses kind of play side by side in the, in their history here. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. When I mentioned Big Bird, right? Absolutely. Okay. The, 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 the actor of, was supposed to go. Yeah. Up. For for those who don't know, the guy who played Carol Spinney was actually supposed to go up on on the Challenger, and he was they they deemed uh, Big Bird because they wanted him to go too. It was uh, it was too much of a risk because the feathers could get like caught up and stuff. <laughs> no, like truthfully, I was like, you know what? That's sure. Why not? Well, this week's bonus when LP calls up and tells you a uh, a story. I'll leave it this way. Lawrence Burke has a story about a sandwich he has to tell today. A sandwich. Yes. All right. So quite I interesting. All right. <laughs> I'm hyped. I'm sold. 
So uh, from a very young age, he's obsessed with flight. He's making model airplanes, which I've made a couple model airplanes, but I never really finished them because I, I don't care about the decals. I don't think anyone ever really finishes a model airplane. They're just kind of like, this is annoying. It looks fine. And just puts it on the shelf. Yeah, because I, I enjoyed the couple times I made them, but it was like, once you're tapped out, you're done. You know, moving on. <laughs> but uh, he starts hanging out in his high school years. He's hanging out at this small municipal airport and this local attorney that owned a small plane, knew that this kid was obsessed with flight, and he goes, hey, I got a two-seater plane. I'll take you up there. If you want to learn a little bit about flying, I'll let you, like, do, you know, some of the controls in the air. So, of course, this kid is... Like, yes! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's... A <laughs> It's, uh, Are we going up to space too? No, no. But we're gonna we're just gonna stay in like a relative like normal. Ex again, exploring space is reserved just for the sci-fi ten cent you know uh, dime store novels at this point. You know, aliens from another planet, all that other stuff. It's crazy. The day the Earth stood still. Like we're in the era of that. We're almost in the golden age. War of, of the worlds. Oh my god. <laughs> I wonder if there was any sort of paranoia. So, as like associated with that stuff too, because you because when you mention more of the world, it's like, oh, you remember the reaction to that and stuff like that with the famous Orson Welles radio play and stuff like that in New Jersey, mind you. In New Jersey, <laughs> mind you. But like, I wonder if there was any sort of like people who were like, we shouldn't be doing any of that. Like, we shouldn't be alerting. Oh, I'm sure of it. There's always a. Uh... There's always someone who's trying to be like, let's not do that. <laughs> There's uh, always a shaggy. <laughs> Zoics. <laughs> like NASA, I don't think we should be putting anything up in space, man. <laughs> well, uh, Grissom uh, knows that he wants to get involved. He's, he's dreaming of a world where he can do something uh, in, in the field of aviation. But he's not really a remarkable student in any fields outside of uh, math. Like, he's a, a math genius. And that's when I realized I wouldn't be an astronaut when they told me math was involved. I'm out. Oh, like, is it really? Can't do it. Nope. Yeah. So. We're, we're, we're done. Yep. I mean, if you need, like, a hired space hand to, like, move some cargo and space shit, I, I got you. <laughs> no problem. But, like, that's, that's also the thing in, like, science fiction movies where I'm like, that's bullshit. He doesn't know math. Where, like, <laughs> you see just, like, the hired help in, like, Alien or something, and I'm like, come on. I could do that. But no, I, I need math. That's bullshit. <laughs> so it gets terrifying uh, for him with that one. He, he wants to play basketball, too, but he's not tall enough. He's 5'7", right? Um, I don't know why that's so funny to me. He, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, it is Kahuna showing his height supremacy here. Okay, come on. Because <laughs> you're what? Kahuna's 6'3", so. 6'4". 6'4". And he looks at my 5'9 ass and just goes, uh, whatever, if I needed to. <laughs> it's a... Uh, <laughs> If Kahuna wanted to, he could carry me around in a baby Bjorn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no comment. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, while a high school student, Grissom meets uh, the woman who's going to go on to become his wife. Uh, the two of them just instantly enamored with each other. And they always said that um, uh, Grissom was a total family man. Like, he was meant for that kind of a He was definitely like a, uh, uh, a you know, Mr. Cleaver kind of a guy where he can't wait to be home and spend time with the kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. So... Um, but he's also, uh, there's shit going on in the world around this time. Um, so Kahuna, he, uh, he begins attending high school in 1940. Anything on the horizon here for that maybe a, a kid approaching the age of 18 should be paying attention to geopolitically? I mean, there's this tiny little war coming up. It's not really a big deal. Yep, there's a, a funny little guy over in Germany making a lot of angry speeches. Um, and uh, as a high school student, he knows that uh, he can't wait to join. 
So he enlists. His, oh, he wanted to go. Oh, at, uh, when you talk to World War II veterans, and, and the population is dwindling, but uh, I used to sit down and talk to my grandfather all the time. And his thing was he waited till he was drafted because he knew he was going to get drafted. And he got drafted with a bunch of the other kids from his neighborhood. So, like, he, it was kids he knew his whole life, and they were, like, going through, you know, basic training and, and yeah. advanced infantry training and then even sometimes getting stationed together. He was in the, the combat engineers around that time frame. But people wanted to go. If you found out you were 4F and you couldn't go, there were suicides that, of people who were ashamed that they couldn't serve the country. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now, my dad's dad... He actually had something with his, I want to say his knee or something like that, where they wouldn't let him go. So instead, he uh, decided to make up for it. He helped build the George Washington Bridge. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, it was, uh, you could work in the, the Brooklyn Navy Yard. That was their way of doing service. That's awesome. So, but, well, uh, not the, the other part, but like, that's still, I had no idea. Oh, yeah, it was, it was definitely, uh, and, and we were ready to join that fight. Um, so Grissom uh, decides he's going to enlist in, get this, his senior year, he enlists in the U.S. Army Air Force. Now, why are we calling it the U.S. Army Air Force, Kahuna? U.S. Army Air Force. Uh, Kahuna's going to play stupid on this one. Why? No, no worries, buddy. It's, uh, it's a little fact a lot of people don't know. The, uh, during World War II, uh, the Air Force was actually a part of the Army. Oh, really? They weren't really recognized as their own branch. They didn't have their own separate branch, if you will, that you could join directly, which would become the U.S. Air Force, until no, we 1947. Didn't really, we didn't really have the technology for it to be its own thing, did we? Um, well, I mean, we had the planes, obviously, but, like, still, we're talking about primitive stuff. Yeah. It's, in, uh, in terms of what we know and, like, stealth jets and shit like that. Well, towards the end of World War II, you're going to start to see a lot of the... Um, uh, technology start to catch up to stuff that we're more f uh, familiar with now. Okay. So, but in 1947 is when the Air Force is actually created. Um, so at the time, if you wanted to join the Air Force, you had to go into the Army and then hope to you know, wind up in the aviation field. Now, the advantage of deciding to join is that you got to pick where you went. So uh, if, I, if, you, if you wanted to be a Marine, if that was your whole thing, I want to be a Marine, you would join uh, and go directly into the Marines rather than risk it that you get put into... Um, you know, the Army or the Navy or something. So that's what a lot of those guys were doing. So anyway, um, Grissom's career is now underway. He's got, uh, he wants to be a part of military aviation. He receives his basic flight training, but spends all of his time in service uh, stateside. He was located on air bases. And uh, unfortunately, he did have some flight training, but he worked mostly as a clerk. So aviation's a cool field. Um, all three of my drill instructors in boot camp were aviation guys. So that was aviation ordnance, aviation mechanics. Uh, I mean, it was it was into aviation electricians. Oh wow! That that was like if something's busted, that these guys are going to fix it. Uh, sometimes mid-flight, depending on what they're working on. So, <laughs> I if I I probably would have had fun in aviation, but there was a part of me that wanted to be on a ship. So no, I hear you. I, I think I, if I were to have joined, I think I would probably end up doing planes. To be honest with you, like that type of stuff, I always found fascinating. Oh, because it's mind-blowing, dude. And they would have loved you, too, because, uh, yeah, like, you and me have similar builds in terms of shoulders and stuff, so we'd be the guys that they would strap the big guns on. For, <laughs> that's what they told me. And, and whenever I was working with the Seabees, they were like, oh, man, you'd be carrying – we'd be carrying so much shit on you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, look like, uh, I'd look like the two big gunners from Aliens when they have the <laughs> – See, you, you just threw in a movie reference, and I was right on the same page with you. Love Thank it. You. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he is serving his country. 
It's not his fault they're not sending him overseas. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, in 1945, Grissom marries his high school sweetheart, Betty, the girl he met uh, when they were both playing in the band together, I think. Because you know band kids fuck. So. <laughs> he was in a punk band. She was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> she was playing the triangle in the marching band. <laughs> um, nah, she was in a doo-wop group. <laughs> that's a <laughs> My friend Kevin Garifo that was here the one time, he had the... She was the uh, baritone. <laughs> he had the worst joke I've ever heard the other day. He goes, uh, he goes, I got like three doo-wop groups I like. I mean, four tops. <laughs> so if you want to... I, I hate you. If you want to attack... <laughs> if you guys want to attack Shining Wizards Kevin, former guest of the show, please feel free to do so. Um, oh, my God. That is atrocious. But, but he, I love it. But he marries Betty in 1945. He comes home on leave to marry her. And that's common, too. You see a lot of kids in the military. There'll be a kid who I joined when I was 20, so I was a little bit older than some of the other kids. But there was one kid who was sitting there trying to marry the girl he went to prom with like three weeks earlier. And it's like, can you imagine if you married your prom date? Ugh. Yeah, it gets wild. It's yeah, it would be really weird. <laughs> Uh, for those at home who missed the, uh, the visual gag, <laughs> Kahuna just looked down at his hand and goes, yeah, that'd be weird. <laughs> so, but uh, he gets married. These two are very in love, by the way. It was uh, like a perfect marriage. And you want to know what a, a, a badass chick Betty is. Um, she knows that uh, you know Gus is dreaming of this career, and he's a smart guy. But keep in mind, he left high school and went straight into the military for the war effort. So they get married. Gus is discharged from the Army Air Force. He uses the partial GI Bill to attend a uh, little school known as Purdue. All right? Mm -hmm. Purdue, re pretty reputable institution here. And uh, Betty is so cool that she supports him, and the two of them wind up working weird odd jobs and stuff like that. For, like, the first semester he was in school, um, she had to live with her parents. So you get married, and then you, you stay with your parents. That's not really the order of operations for that, you know? No. And then um, eventually he is able to get her on campus at Purdue. They move into a small apartment together. Uh, Gus takes summer classes in order to finish early because he's, he's an older guy, man. You know, time's not slowing down. He's got a wife to think about, uh, and he wants to have this career in aviation. So like I said, again, another cool thing, too, he uses the partial GI Bill. I used my GI Bill to go to uh, writing classes at Brookdale, <laughs> which oddly is how I met... Uh, 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 Laura Vetter. And, Shout out uh, to Laura. Yeah, and um, and then who is again a friend of yours? So it's all it's all who you know in this yeah. weird business. But, it's crazy because we found out we had a lot of mutual friends when we became friends. <laughs> which I I love. That's why I just felt right. You know, the guy who nicknamed you Kahuna is the the one and only Chris Covert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who uh, I I can only assume is uh, which I think started at uh at Vulgarthon. I think because he was like, there's too many Chris's working. You're a big kahuna now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, covert's good that way. But um, so now uh, Gus is finishing off these classes here. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm wasting my time doing creative writing courses uh, with the GI Bill. Gus is getting a, uh, a master. I'm sorry, not a master's, a bachelor of science in mechanical engineering. So and he graduates uh, in 1950. So, so he's a relatively intelligent man. Besides yeah. just being like a soldier. Yeah, he, he can follow orders well. He's got a passion for what he's pursuing. And uh, also, like we said, pretty uh, definitely above average mathematics skills. So he's kicking ass that way. It's now 1950. Uh, so it, what about the 1950s? Do you know any sort of wars possibly going on? Maybe some parallels we got to fight over? I mean, another tiny little spat with uh, this 
place called Korea. Like, <laughs> nothing really, nothing major. So it's now 1950. So if you remember, I said 1947 is when the Air Force was its own branch. Mm-hmm. So now this U.S. Army Air Force uh, veteran in Gus Grissom is now able to join directly a branch known as the Air Force. So, or now we jokingly would refer to them as the Chair Force modern day because they, they got, that's just us being jealous. <laughs> they have a great life. They have a great life. So, at least you're 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 willing to admit it's all out of just jealousy. Oh yeah, I I don't I, I don't hold anything back on that. When someone's like, oh, you're just a hater because you're jealous. Yes, yes I am. That's absolutely, correct. That's correct. Because you don't deserve the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and watch that. Say that one to somebody. Like, yeah, because you don't actually deserve the opportunity you have. What? <laughs> um, but within a year, Gus has now earned his pilot wings, baby. All right, he's got these pilot wings. He gets his commission as a second lieutenant. So he's now an officer, and he joins up with the 75th Fighter Interceptor Squadron. That's a badass name. 75th Fighter Interceptions. Interceptor Squadron, I should say. Anything with the word interceptor in it is just kind of like there's a hint of badass there. Oh, absolutely. I, so. That's that's an awesome name. It, interceptor uh, Squadron. So he's in uh, – and the fact that it's a fighter unit too. I mean that is – women go crazy for pilots because they get to say cool stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, now a year after he receives this uh, position as a second lieutenant, Gus is now heading into combat. Okay? So he's now going to have to leave his wife and his child behind. He's got one kid already. He winds up having two boys I believe. And uh, Gus, like I said, known to love being at home with the family. So when he got done for the day with work – you know, whatever they were doing on the base or the training or anything like that, he'd come home, and if the boys were home from school, he was spending time with the boys. He was making sure that his wife was getting loved on. They had dinner together as a family. Uh, they took care of chores and stuff like that afterwards. And then once the boys went to bed at night, that's when Gus Grissom would go downstairs and do his technical readings and his other work and shit he had to do. So it was, if I'm home and you guys are awake, I'm spending time with you. It's no like, hey, go play in the other room, you goddamn kids. So, like, he created, like, a really good balance for himself that's what they a lot of people remarked about that because he never talked about work really at home it was just yeah we do this you know and not for nothing if uh and and i i do um i do fight my instinct to say that phrase um not for nothing um (laughs) but uh he did actually create a good balance there and then his kids and wife probably didn't want to know some of the stuff that was going on with him we're going to get to some of his cowboy moments here um so Grissom family, very, very close. Uh, but now Grissom's duties are overseas. He is going to fly the F-86 Sabre. If you want to pull up a picture of that just to see what it looks like, they're pretty cool looking. I, I you know, I know obviously the, the listeners can't see that. Maybe I'll put one up on uh, oh, whoa. the Instagram. So F-86 Sabre, cool looking plane. Uh, it is the same plane that is being flown by astronaut John Glenn. So uh, John Glenn is a pilot for the Marine Corps. And uh, he would become the first man to orbit the Earth from space. So, You're painting a really cool picture of this dude, and I feel bad he's on this show. Like, he sounds like a stand-up dude. He absolutely is. And that, that's how we're going to remember him fondly here, but you still got to crack some jokes every now and then just for levity's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Gus would now serve with the 334th Fighter Squadron over in Korea, where, uh, get this, Cahoons, he flew over 100 combat missions in a six-month period. Damn. So that's like every three days he's going up uh, in a combat mission. Where he could get shot down. Absolutely. Every time. Yeah. and Because wow. uh, Korea would have, uh, I think they had, I believe that they were able to use MiGs because the thing with uh, the Korean War was that the Russians were supplying a lot of the weaponry. 
for the Koreans to use. And then there was the backing from China as well, I want to say. So it gets to be a mess. The Korean War, I don't have as much info on as I'd like to, and I, I, I plan on remedying that as we go here. Because another one of our losers we have to cover is a, a high-ranking general during Korea that gets relieved of duty. So, um, But anyway, uh, Gus, is uh, he's over there for a six-month period. Like I said, 100 combat missions during that time frame. Earns the rank of first lieutenant earns the Distinguished Flying Cross and the Air Medal for his efforts. He was a... They, they literally just said he was just a hell of a pilot, that this guy knew what he was doing. He, he stayed calm. Um, but like any sane person, uh, when his rotation was up, uh, you know, Gus like, hey, you want to get back to your family and friends? He goes, well, actually, I'm willing to stick around and fly another 25 missions if you guys will let me. <laughs> and they, they Oh, so the rotation is like, do you want to come back again or, or do this again? Or is, is that when it... Yeah. Or is the rotation allows you like a like an honorable discharge or something? Well, no. He would go in. Uh, they would say, so you're going to be in a combat zone for six months. So you're going to be deployed overseas for six months. When your time is up, we're going to rotate you back towards the shore, you know, back toward, you know, probably going back stateside or something for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then when your rotation comes back up, you go back over. So that could be... The turnaround time could be as quick as six months, could be a year or two. So, But the guy's trying to extend while he's over there. And he goes, I'll fly another 25 missions for you. He, goes, he actually put in paperwork requesting that, and they shot him down. They said, no, get the fuck out of here. You got to go. <laughs> go see your family, Grissom. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now he's, uh, he's safe, right? He's now serving, uh, he's back stateside at Bryan Air Force Base in Bryan, Texas. And he's working the safe duty known as a flight instructor. Um, Finally, he's out of harm's way until one of his students breaks a flap on the training plane mid-flight, and Gus is forced to take over the controls mid-barrel roll and lands the plane safely. Mid-barrel roll. Wow. Oh, yeah. If Gus did not act, that plane would have crashed and would have killed both of them more than likely. But with uh, loads more training and uh, tons more schooling, Gus's career in aviation is continuing to grow, and now by 1957... Uh, he is now a captain in the United States Air Force and is working as a test pilot at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Okay, now in order to be a test pilot, the military, <laughs> it's this weird thing uh, to be a test pilot. You are uh, part stuntman, part scientist, part crash test dummy. I mean, it's... You're a long list of things and not one of them is safe. <laughs> exactly. So he's a test pilot, but it's still an honor. The military has the utmost faith in you. Uh, the job is dangerous, but there's a very strict program that's going to keep only the uh, the best, not necessarily the brightest. I mean, the brightest in terms of intelligence, yes, but the brightest, if they thought you were going to be um, valuable as a combat fighter, they weren't going to send you to the test pilot program. Now, was it a was it a volunteer thing? Or is it like you? You're, you, like, they would look, obviously, but, like, they would ask you or just tell you you would be a part of this? Yeah, or like, they groom you for different programs. They, uh... The military is usually pretty good about uh, figuring out what people are all about. So um, if uh, they, whatever your strength was, you could often play towards that. So like I said, if I could go back in time, I'd go back as a hospital corpsman because I had a medical background. when mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I was trained as an EMT. I didn't ever work as one. I should be clear about that. But um, that, that would be what I would have done. But instead, I was they were like, oh, yeah, you're a welder. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> so... Anyway, Gus is kicking ass. He found his home as a flight instructor. Guy's got a passion for this stuff. Um, now, and like we said, he's now a test pilot over here. Um, you're the, the best and brightest in the constant face of danger. Uh, Gus was the right man for the job, though. He also, in his uh, spare time, earned a second degree in aeromechanics. 
So the passion is there, man. If he's coming home and doing tech, wait for those kids to go away. Then he's downstairs on his laptop doing his uh, University of Phoenix <laughs> classes. <to get> <laughs> oh, man, I didn't know they had laptops in, this, in 57. Good for him. But uh, Gus's life, anything but ordinary. But this is the part where uh, we're going to throttle things up to the danger zone. Iceman. Shout out to uh, uh, Rachel Torres, too, by the way, who made that hilarious um, uh, Photoshop of my dog, Eddie, piloting an F-16 in Top Gun. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. So appreciated that one. That was dope. Uh, Gus now receives. This is fun, dude. This is You want to write a movie. This is where you start the movie. Okay. Gus receives orders to report to Washington, D.C. Your mission is top secret. Do not tell anyone about this. So he uh, goes to Washington, D.C. in civilian clothes, reports to where he's supposed to report to, all top secret government shit. Um, he finds out that he is uh, one of 508 test pilots deemed eligible to be recruited into what's going to become the U.S. space program. Oh. Oh, Wow. Oh, yeah. This is a burn after reading kind of a thing. So Your mission should, should you choose to accept exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, so now from the 508 people deemed eligible, they decide that only 110 of them are even going to find out what the program's about. Now, was it top secret because of just the, the age of the space race? Or was it just because of, like, were we starting to get into the era of spies and the shit like that? Or was it uh, a couple of different reasons? Cold or is that War, just in general? Yeah, Cold War is definitely... Um, a factor here at this point because we're we're nervous about Russia. Um, you know, obviously the 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 thirteen days with the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, yeah. Bay of Pigs going on down in Cuba, all sorts of stuff here. So it gets a little bit wild. But um, obviously, you also it's a matter of you know national security to keep this shit quiet. So they go from five hundred and eight down to one hundred and ten. That means the one hundred and ten they get picked out of the five hundred eight. That's the people who get to find out what they got summoned for. So, Gus remains a candidate. He is fascinated by this. It's kind of a dream job. Um, but uh, he knew that the chances of him being selected were, you know, slim to none. So, 110, you know, a can 110 candidates are now eligible, and they got to drop it down to whatever number they're even talking about. So, first round of cuts, you know, American Idol. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Simon's sending a lot of people home here. Um, from 110 down to 39. That's the first round of cuts. Yeah, it's a no from me. That's a, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely pathetic. <laughs> you oh, should man. go home and never try to be an astronaut again. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you don't deserve to drink Tang. <laughs> but uh, oh, they're sending people home left and right, man. And uh, they're all sworn to secrecy from the, the people that are aware of the program. So from 110 down to 39, Gus is still in the mix here. So uh, this is certainly a one-of-a-kind and never-before-attempted uh, program here. The idea of getting into space is wild. We're talking about, like, you know, Icarus, Greek mythology stuff. You know, don't fly too close to the sun. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans thought that the planets were uh, the gods and goddesses looking down on them. I mean, this is, this is you know, a, in a way, this is a Star Trek-type stuff coming true, you know? Um, but anyhow, and uh, that, that's actually a side note to that, too. Star Wars, you know, great movie story. I mean, I like the original three, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't have any strong opinions on anything else. Um, but Star Trek, once you serve in the, you know, the Navy particular, 
uh, you start appreciating some of the the languages and commands and stuff like that going back and forth between the crew members because it, it sounds just like the stuff we would hear up on the bridge from the captain or in the engineering spaces. So okay, yeah, it was funny. <clears throat> Sorry about that. This Death Wish coffee is fantastic. Um, <laughs> you have been talking faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so Gus is now still involved in the program here, and uh, on April thirteenth, nineteen fifty nine. Gus Grissom is informed that he is now one of the, keep in mind, started at 508, down to 110, down to 39, the final seven. All right, so he gets brought in. Um, These are going to be the the men who are going to serve as America's first, quote, astronauts for something known as Project Mercury. So, Probably a silly question, but where did the, does the term, is the term astronaut new or has that been around in like fiction too? Um, I'm curious about that because, again, the Russians would refer to their astronauts as cosmonauts. Because that, I know, is a term from, like, fiction. Yeah, I, the, the exploring the cosmos or the, the astra, you know, astrology, yeah. shit like that. So, um, but, uh, so you got a crew here. It's almost like uh, those scenes in the movies when he goes, I'm putting together a team. <laughs> and know? then you get the badass slow motion walk exactly. towards, the, towards the end goal. So here, here comes your reservoir dogs uh, of, uh, of space, if you will, who are all going to be known as uh, the Mercury 7. Okay. So there was uh, Deke Slayton, badass name. Uh, Alan Shepard. Okay. Uh, John Glenn. Gordo Cooper. Malcolm Carpenter. Uh, our boy, uh, who would become known as Gruff Gus, okay, Gus Grissom himself, because he was a bit of a hard ass and would openly complain about <laughs> some of the frustrations with the program. And then uh, one last guy here, uh, Wally Shira. Um, I wanted to call it Shira, but uh, my father told me it's actually pronounced Shira. Wally Shira of Hackensack, New Jersey. So New Jersey represented in the very first space program. Wow. Okay? Good stuff there from the beginning. And then we get Buzz Aldrin in, too. So Jersey Public Schools, you're cranking out some okay people. Maybe they do deserve all the money. <laughs> <laughs> Again, my parents are both teachers. Uh, so Grissom gets that nickname Gruff Gus, by the way, uh, due to his uh, frustrations with some of the inner workings of NASA and the technical issues with the equipment. Because he would bitch and moan about it. Like, how the fuck are we going to go to the, you know, the moon? If uh, That was one of his quotes. If we can't even talk from three buildings away. Talking about the comm systems. So, you know, I mean, that's a valid point to make. Like, that's the type of like, that's also one of the reasons why I wouldn't. I'd be making points everywhere. Uh, We can barely talk now. Yeah. (laughs) And you expect us to communicate from thousands upon thousands of miles away. Exactly. Sure. Well, that's where they always anytime you vent frustration, uh, people take it. Leadership in the military a lot of times will take it as a threat when really it's actually you showing that you care. So one quick example, side note, I know we've had a couple of side ventures here today, but we're, we're getting to the, the guts of uh, the Gus Grissom story here. Um, so we were in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Norfolk is a weapons onload. Uh, no, it wasn't Norfolk. Where was it? Yorktown. Yorktown for a weapons onload uh, pre-deployment for the USS Kearney. Now, uh, I wasn't going to be on board for the deployment. We'd found out because I was going to have to report to the reserve side. So I was a little bit pissed off anyway. Um, we pull into Yorktown. And uh, because of the weapons onload, you're not allowed to use a cell phone out on the main deck, and you're not allowed to smoke, right? If you want to smoke, you have to walk, like, half a pier down, like a couple of, like, two city blocks maybe, Mm -hmm. um, to go stand in a tent where everybody just stands around smoking. So it's ridiculous. 
and uh, you weren't allowed to use your cell phone until the nighttime once the equipment stopped running for fear that you would set something off. So now imagine my frustration when they tell me that uh, we're not allowed to uh, have a cell phone out or even smoke something as uh, you know ridiculous as a cigarette, but they want me to go uh, use an oxyacetylene torch to braze something up in one of the weapon spaces. I was like, oh, yeah, so my torch, yeah, the torch, that'll be... That's exactly what we want fired off here. But. So, yeah, the, the torch amongst these mm. megaton weapons, sure, fine, no problem. Yeah, so... My I, cell phone? Not at all. Exactly. <laughs> so I bitched and moaned nonstop, and eventually one of my chiefs had to pull me aside and be like, quit your bitching and do your fucking job. Also, I just want to point out, I didn't get to say it earlier, Mercury 7 is a badass group name. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that's actually kind of cool. The the marvelous Mercury 7. <laughs> like, yeah, if they did uh, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, you'd be... Uh... <laughs> actually, oh, I, I have shit. one particular reference in here just for you to tell you what's going on in pop culture at the time in a second. But, well, um, six, we're, what year are we? Uh, so we're everything's uh, kind of slapping together here for uh, Project Mercury originally. Let me see where I have the next uh, the, the year date on that one. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to talk about this real quickly was that um, let's see if I have a date. I don't yet, so we'll get to it. Uh, Grissom gets that nickname Grump Gus because uh, he actually is openly talking to the press about his frustrations with the equipment. And NASA's like, oh, you're making us look bad, that kind of a thing. So there's a why, little bit. Why would you go and talk to the press? I thought, like, how would he not get in trouble? Oh, because they're, they're always interviewing secret. them. Well, th- but they're interviewing them and the little bit that they're allowed to know. Like, obviously, there's a space program because we got these giant rockets we're putting together. Yeah, they're, they're pretty easy to spot. But Yeah, you ever been down to Cape Canaveral? I have not. Okay, it's it's awesome. My uh, my last unit, Mesron 10, now there's, they're called something different, Rivron or something like that, but... Uh, Maritime Security Squadron 10 used to have our uh, annual training down there. We would build a base and then have to defend it from people tacking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple times we were down there for a launch or two. But um, it's it's wild stuff, you know. Uh, the Space Coast, as they call it. So, uh, But Gus, Gus has this nickname because he's bitching a little bit about stuff. He is going to actually be named the pilot for the second Project Mercury launch. The shuttle was named the Liberty Bell 7. Okay, Mm -hmm. and the mission was a suborbital launch, which, from what I understand, it's it's technically you're in space, but not enough that you're going to get sucked into orbit where you can do a rotation of the planet. Okay. So, um, this flight would last uh, just under 16 minutes. Um, So after a successful launch, it's really a roller coaster that these guys are going on. You know what I mean? It's it's going on King to Ka, looking down at the planet, and then the planet starts getting closer and closer and closer, (laughs) and you just hope that you land in the ocean like they planned. So, um, anyway, Gus's re-entry to the atmosphere gets real interesting real quick because uh, during the splashdown, which is where he was supposed to, you know, land, a parachute would come out of the capsule, and uh, he would then land in the Atlantic Ocean, and then a helicopter uh, from some of the Navy ships in the area would come get him, mm-hmm. right? So his rescue team is standing by. You just got to hope that they're close. The problem is, is that upon splashdown, uh, these uh, explosive bolts on the Liberty 7 hatch, explode. Explosive bolts? Yeah, so it it opens the hatch on the spacecraft. So that sounds like a good thing to get out of it, right? If you're you're in trouble and you need to get out of the thing, you don't want, like, imagine that the door gets damaged, so now you're stuck and you're trapped inside the thing, right? But what happens for Gus here is that the bolts go off um, without him activating them. So now the hatch is opening while he's floating in water. 
So now he starts sinking. Uh, so he's, he sees what's going on. He's able to get out of the, uh, um, the Liberty Bell. Liberty Bell 7 was the name of the craft. And um, the thing actually, uh, the rescue team's not able to uh, rescue the craft. So Liberty Bell 7 sinks to the bottom of the ocean, out in the middle of the Atlantic. And in 1999, I believe, it was recovered and is on display at one of the uh, Cosmosphere. Um, they recovered it? Yes. Oh wow. Well, you can't leave something like that down there for the uh, the Ruskies or the you know the, the well, Chinese. Well, to be to be fair, the year that you just told me it was, and then they go pick it up in 1999. Yeah. So it took them about uh, you know 20 something years to get their act together, but they, they raise it from the ocean. It just looks at them and goes, "What took you so long?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was uh, the heart of the ocean uh, bracelet. And I'm sorry, <laughs> necklace was was inside the cockpit the oh. entire time. But uh, anyway, so the craft winds up sinking. They're unable to get that. But luckily, Gus gets the fuck out of Dodge, right? He pops right out of the uh, um, the craft, and uh, he realizes that he's in trouble here. So now, the only issue he's having is that his spacesuit has a vent on it. So now you're trying to float in water, and your spacesuit is slowly filling with water, losing buoyancy. So he is absolutely screwed here. Um, it's a... Uh, it's, it's not a good scene, and he's able to stay afloat as the USS Randolph sends helicopters to then finally have rescue swimmers pull him from the water. And uh, What's the time? Like, he crashes, gets out, recovered. Like, how long would, does it take for them to get to him? This always was a, a thing that kind of spooked me um, whenever we were talking about man overboard drills on the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I served on the USS Kearney uh, out of Rota, Spain now. That, that's how... I got Jacksonville, and then a couple years later, they moved to Spain. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, cool stuff, though. And uh, I'm hanging out uh, uh, one day before a training broke out, and then one of the boatswain's uh, mates, Chiefs, who I, I really admired a lot, he was my duty section leader, Chief Boyd, and um, he and I are still friends to this day, but he was telling me, he goes, you realize that if you go overboard, you know, on a ship, even like this, even the, uh, by the time that they... Uh, can turn the ship around, then drop the rigid hull inflatable boat, right, which is our little, like, speedboat that we, we carry alongside the ship, mm-hmm. and put a rescue swimmer into the water, who is my buddy, uh, I shouldn't say his name, he's actually with the SEALs now. Um, Don't. Yeah, I won't. I won't say his name. But uh, good guy. Um, but his first foray into uh, realizing he wanted to do special operations was because he was our ship's rescue swimmer. And uh, so he would, I remember when he went to the school and everything like that, and you used to see them, uh, helicasting it was called, where they would jump out of the helicopter into the water mm-hmm. and start swimming. Real badass program. But uh, anyway, he, um, by the time they get the rigid hull boat dropped in, the ship turned around, and then the rescue swimmer ready to go, you're probably in the water for two hours before they come get you. So you better hope you got a flotation device thrown to you. Uh, you better hope that uh, you're able to tread water. It's going to be a while, man. I'm sorry. That's that's horrifying to me. It is. Like, so. like that type of stuff bothers me on like a level that is just like, oh, no. I just I can't. So now imagine doing that with a spacesuit that's filling with water while you're trying to tread water. So I don't know how long he was out there, but I know that uh, however long it was, it was probably a few more minutes than he was comfortable with. <sighs> so... Uh, Grissom struggles to stay afloat until he gets to his rescuers. Luckily, they get to him in time. Grissom's a tough guy. He's not going to cave. But uh, they have to launch investigations into why these bolts have exploded. you got to do, you know, uh, independent investigations from within. So the scientists are like, well, how the hell did this happen? Uh, they thought, well, maybe Grissom fired the bolts accidentally or he had done them uh, manually. 
But in order to fire these bolts off, you had to hit this plunger on board, right, which is just a button, really. Um, but it would have required him to uh, press down with his hand on this plunger to activate. And the plunger needed at least five pounds of pressure. Mm-hmm. So if you did it, if you, in order to put the pressure on that, it, there, the way that the button was made, there would be this bruise that it would leave on your hand, right? So in all the training times they ever did it, it always bruised the person's hand. Now, when they took a look at Gus Grissom's hands, no bruises. So that means he did not accidentally hit the plunger. There's no way. So what they think might have happened is upon the splashdown, something triggered it to explode, or maybe uh, part of the, the parachute cord might have hit something and fired these hat. But meanwhile, the guy pretty much got, if you take a cup and you put a cup in a pool, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the cup's going to, it's not going to sink to the bottom right away, but it's not going to stay afloat either. Yeah. So he's in that trying to get the hell out of here. So this is a guy who has combat missions in Korea, right? Uh, this is a guy who almost died uh, in a, 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 a training, a flight training uh, incident, right? Now NASA has almost drowned him in the middle of the ocean and he still shows up for work every day. He's still bitching and moaning, but he shows up. He's not even uh, he's not even bitching him because he, he wants the program to work, and he's just a no nonsense guy. But he's got a great sense of humor. So uh, guess what? Um, uh, they're getting ready now to. Uh, <laughs> this was my favorite thing, by the way. A um, couple of favorite things here. So fellow Mercury Seven member Wally Shira of Jersey, mm-hmm. when uh, he has a flight similar to uh, Gus Grissom's, he waits uh, in his craft until. Um, they rescue it out of the water and bring it back onto the deck of uh, the, the, the rescue ship, which um, for, by the way, it was the USS Randolph. It was an aircraft carrier that, that rescued Gus. Uh, but now for Wally Shira, um, he waits until he's on the deck of uh, his ship, and then he forces down that plunger we talked about, gets his nice bruise on his hand to prove that he did it, and then blows the bolts correctly. So that that's it, it was a way to examine and make sure everything was you know, where it needed to be. So yeah. we're trying to learn from the mistakes of Gus's flight. But unfortunately, as you're going to tell, we're, we're running out of Gus stories here. But uh, they, um, they launched those investigations. Like I said, uh, the official NASA opinions are that the bolts were activated during reentry or that uh, during the abrupt stop of the, the splashdown. So that's what they were saying here. That must have hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. So now, uh, well, we shot Gus into space for about 10 to 15 minutes. Then we almost drowned him. And as a reward, we're going to send him back up into space again. So due to Alan Shepard not being medically cleared, he had an issue with his uh, inner ear, I think. Uh, Gus Grissom has now made the pilot for the first uh, crewed flight. Uh, crewed is in you know, a crew on board, not crewed as in like it says, uh, it says gross made things. Made duct tape. <laughs> Um, so uh, that's 1965. They're going to launch this thing called uh, Gemini 3. Okay, The flight is historic for several reasons. Um, it is the first crewed flight of the Gemini program. And also this makes Gus Grissom, our boy Gus Grissom, who we're learning about today, mm-hmm. uh, he's now the first man to ever be sent into space twice. <laughs> so if you want to win some trivia at a bar one night, guys, you tuck that little nugget away, okay? Um, this time it would last longer than uh, the... Uh, the 15-minute, you know, Ramones album that uh, they had been previously. Um, and Gus and his crew member, John Young, revolve around the Earth three times in a flight that lasts just under five hours. So they were able to rotate because one rotation would be an hour of, uh, you know, take an hour, you know, I would say. So uh, that's why they were up there. They were able to see it three times. And the flight lasted, like we said, just under five hours. 
Gus is heavily involved in all aspects of the program. He's even now putting his degrees to good use, and he invented the multi-access translation thruster controller, which if I told you I knew what it did, Kona, I would be lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it was for um, the, the docking of uh, the ships from both a vertical and a horizontal axis. So that would be like when you see the, the things that break away from the shuttle, Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, the crew goes up in the things, and then they get once everybody's loaded in, uh, then those things move backwards. I guess there was a way that he was able to flip it on its head that now you could have better accuracy with it. Oh, okay. So smart guy. Um, despite his Grump Gus nickname and his engineering background, he still had a good sense of humor, and uh, they asked and they let him name Gemini Three his ship, and he wanted to name it uh, the Molly Brown. No. No way. As in the unsinkable Molly Brown. No way. I've... Which was a popular play at the time. Which of was about you the, wanted to do this the true story. Was that the reason you wanted to do this episode, too? <laughs> you read that, you were like, that's an American loser. Well, he, uh, he calls the ship the, uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown, and that's a reference to both um, the boisterous uh, survivor of the Titanic, Miss Molly Brown herself, right? Marvelously then, played by Kathy, Kathy Bates. Oh, she's, she's the best part of that whole movie. Um so you got that. Then you got um, uh, the fact that there's a play that's very popular about her, The Unsinkable Molly Brown. I think it was a musical. Um, and then uh, also, obviously, it's a pretty good sense of humor that he almost drowned the last time he went up. So he's making light of that. <laughs> so he's calling it the Molly Brown. So, that's fucking great. So the nerds over in uh, the control tower are like, we don't like that. We don't want you naming it that. Come up with a different name. So Gus Grissom, because he's Grump Gus, says, all right, uh, if you can't name it the unsinkable Molly Brown, we're going to name it the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, okay, Molly Brown, we can work with Molly Brown. <laughs> so, well, did they really have a problem with him calling it Molly Brown? They did, and no future spacecraft uh, has been allowed to be named by the pilot because that was a tradition. That's, well, that's horse shit. You used to be able to name your plane if you were the pilot of it. Like, for instance, the Memphis Bell, great movie about uh, the, the B-17s, I think. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the Enola Gay, obviously, that dropped uh, the bomb. You know, so there, there's famous planes out there. They didn't want to have these uh, slang vernacular names or nicknames, if you will. So it wasn't allowed uh, moving forward from that. But so uh, they were like, we only need names that refer to our scientific analysis. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's uh, it's like we're uh, gonna call this Gemini Three. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's sometimes suck. people are so smart they don't have a sense of humor. So that's the problem there. But, That's uh, a sad existence. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, NASA disallows the naming of the spacecraft after that. And uh, in his crew, he had uh, Roger Chaffee and Ed White. Ed White was a pretty badass uh, pilot himself. Um, so Grissom was assigned as the commander of that flight. So he's now in charge of uh, a three-man crew, three including himself. And this flight would become known as Apollo 1. So uh, it, those listeners at home, we all know that 11 lands on the moon safely. 13 has a couple of issues, but we wind up getting those boys back safely. But uh, 1 through 12. So, yeah, you got to you gotta listen to... Um, Are there actually, like, Apollo 1, Apollo 2, 3, 4, 5, like, or uh, do they skip? They, they wind up skipping a little bit here and there, and you're going to see why in a second. Um, mm-hmm. So Apollo 1, uh, Ed White, by the way, was the first astronaut to ever do a spacewalk. I believe he just got out of his craft and was able to walk on the craft itself, but... He's the uh, the first guy to uh, pretty much don the spacesuit and then get to go out, I believe. So wow, Ed White, pretty accomplished guy himself. But uh, Grum Gus is on full display when talking to the media, 
He's always honest, of course. Uh, he would admit that he goes, yeah, I'm afraid sometimes. And uh, yeah, I'm very frustrated with a lot of the stuff we're dealing with with the spacecraft. And he actually openly doubted that the, the craft was durable enough to survive the proposed 14-day mission it was intended for. So keep in mind, we had a 15-minute flight into space. Then we had a... Takes 15 minutes? Well, a, a 15... Remember, the initial flight only lasted about 15 minutes. Oh, okay. So his first one with Liberty Bell. Then he goes up with Gemini, and Gemini lasts for, uh, 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 what was it, five hours total and three rotations of the uh, the Earth. So pretty cool stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's bitching and moaning out loud. And now uh, to give you a little bit of... Um, they finally have a launch date. So Apollo 1 is what they're told their mission is going to be called. So that's Apollo 1. This has never been done before, dude. This is full-on wild, next-level, hyperspace Millennium Falcon shit. And uh, the, the date of the intended flight is going to be February 21st, 1967. Okay? Um, Aretha Franklin had just gotten done recording Respect, just to give you a little... Um, <laughs> What's the year? 1967. 1967. So she had recorded it uh, that year, I believe, um, just to give you what, what, the, what was on the radio waves at the time. Uh, but like we said, um, Gus and his crew now have a date ready for this incredible history-making launch. Uh, these guys are the guys that are – we know Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Uh, we know them as uh, – you know, they're the most famous astronauts in the world, and they should be because of what they accomplished. But this is the first wave of that. These guys are going into the first long-term space mission here. And uh, the prep phase is overwhelming at times for these guys, and the mission probably would have failed had it gone as planned on February 21st. Um, But just a few weeks before their uh, presumed launch date, during a pre-launch test at Cape Kennedy in Florida, which, by the way, I'm I'm not sure what NASA still has down there, but it is very cool to see the Space Coast, if you will, because the way Florida works is you have the first coast, which is Jacksonville, uh, you know, St. Augustine, stuff like that. That's where I lived. Yeah. And then the Space Coast is really cool. That's like Daytona down to Cocoa. So, and uh, based off of the... Uh, Probably a really dumb question, but when was the last time NASA sent something up? Uh, like a major rocket? We had a couple things not too long ago, and uh, they actually sent, I want to say... Because um, there's no way we've gotten to a point where we just don't care. No, about when rockets go up, I just I haven't recalled in a long time. Actually. Well, the, there's the International Space Station, and there's also we we launch a lot of satellites sometimes too, and then there's other stuff like uh, Mars rovers and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that. So it's pretty cool, um, but uh, I would have to look that one up for you if I was on. In fact, if you wanted to find out what the last uh, flight was, I'd be fascinated to know. Um, but that last uh, NASA flight was uh, July eighth. 2011 it looks like cool well that was around the time frame that because i would have been living in florida around that time frame and uh that's when they were getting ready to to, nasa was leaving Cocoa beach they thought and that was a whole big depressing thing uh for the the locals there but uh on january 27th so just you know three weeks short of uh when the mission's supposed to be launching uh a fire breaks out in the command module interior of apollo one and uh all three crew members um, so this is uh, Chaffee and uh, uh, White and our boy uh, Gus Grissom uh, are asphyxiated and killed in the fire. They're, they're trapped in the escape pod. They're unable, actually not even the escape pod, they're not able to get out to their escape pod. So there was a door that was supposed to open that they'd be able to get out of that would not open, and then it opened inward, 
which prevented the guys from being able to get out. So they were pretty much just trapped in their seats uh, when this electrical fire broke out and, uh, and killed all three of them. So that was during a pre-launch test. And uh, Gus and his crew, um, they're dead, man. There's, there's no way around this one. There's, there's, they were goners. Uh, Gus and his crew are buried with full military honors. Yes, Gus, they should have been. Absolutely. These are heroes, man. Space fucking cowboys. Uh, Gus's funeral is attended by fellow NASA members, okay? All the guys from Mercury 7, the other wannabe astronaut, not wannabe astronauts, but soon-to-be astronauts, I should say. And uh, also at the time, the current president of the United States, who was uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, because uh, JFK had been assassinated in Dallas a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Gus is buried in Arlington National Cemetery, which is, uh, I believe, JFK is buried there as well, too. That's like the highest honor place you can be buried. It's it's military, a good spot. Right? Yeah, it's a good spot to be buried, man. Definitely a lot of history there, a lot of, uh, a lot of honor uh, there in terms of the, the way the military uh, operates. It's, uh, it, it's something you got to see. I, I remember seeing it, and it was, uh, it was overwhelming at times. Uh, Gus had reached the rank of lieutenant colonel and had logged over 4,600 hours of flight time. So his life was cut short, um, obviously, but his commitment and his uh, passionate pursuit of a career in aviation had certainly gone beyond what any of his boyhood dreams could have imagined. So when you're a kid growing up in Mitchell, Indiana, just dreaming of one day being able to fly planes, and then, you know, obviously it it ends tragically, but that guy lived his dream every day of his life because he chased it. So I admire the guy for that one, man. Uh, get this, by the way, both sons of his also go on to graduate from Purdue and both take on careers in aviation as well. So you, if the family business is, uh, you know, flying, then these guys are... Uh, then they're, they're doing it. ...following suit. That's awesome. Uh, Grissom's fellow Mercury 7 astronauts all contend that uh, had Gus survived, he would have eventually been one of the guys selected to land on the moon. That they were saying, if you had, if you looked in that room and you said, who should be a guy that we can trust that's going to pull this off to land on the moon and then step foot on the moon, um, they were going to say Gus Grissom was one of your guys. So the fact that he was killed meant that he never got a chance to uh, achieve that. But um, in order to honor Gus and the tragic crew of Apollo 1, one of the craters on the moon, one of the, the larger craters, is named Grissom Crater. So that is a, a pretty cool eternal and interplanetary memorial to uh, one of the lesser-known heroes of the American space program. So, pretty badass life all in all. Terrible the, the way that it went down, but if you don't have... If you don't work those kinks out on the ground, you could just be launching guys into space to die, too. I mean, it's still a, a very wild risk. I mean... Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, it it's pretty wild out there with that stuff. What I think we're going to do, because um, obviously our Jersey connections are just the boys from Jersey that uh, got mm-hmm. involved there... Lose reception, not really too, too much we can go on today. So, uh, But I thought this guy's story really needed to be told because I'd never heard of him before I Googled him. And then I was like, how how do we not lead with this yeah. when we talk about the space program? Well, because it sets it off on, no, on kind of a downer note because it's like, oh, we did all this testing for eventually what we thought was going to be a great thing and then he passed away in, in those circumstances that it did. So, I mean, I understand why it's left out. But at the same time, I don't think it should be. Like, it's a very important part of NASA's history and just history in general. Like, we were going to to the frick. We were going to space. Exactly. Come on, man. That's what's what's crazy, though. These guys' sacrifices allowed us to figure that out. And a lot of the research and stuff that we've been able to do 
I'm uh, not even counting this man as a loser. Nothing about him. Nope. Just, Nothing. Just a tragic figure. That's what it is. He, he, uh, we talk about this a lot, too. He almost has a Greek hero vibe to him because it's You know it's, what? Uh, I'm going to make a bold claim. I'm putting him dead last on any list we've done. Because it just seems like he was just someone who loved what he was doing. Oh, he was great. To the point that, like, he was like, eh, this might not work, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's <laughs> But, like, still, like, I I admire Gus. I think that's really cool. No, he's the man. He was uh, very fun to read about, and then the way people talked about him, too. Oh, uh, you know who played him in, uh, I, I, I didn't see the movie, I won't pretend to, but I did watch the scene with him in it very quickly, that, uh, that first man movie. Really? Yeah, um, with, uh... Uh, what's his name? The handsome guy. Jesus. Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong. Oh, oh, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and then there's a scene earlier where they show um, the uh, the fire break out and kill uh, Gus and the boys of Apollo 1. And Gus Grissom is actually played by Shea Wiggum, uh, who played uh, Eli on Boardwalk Empire. I'm about to blow your mind even further. One of my favorite movies of all time is a little Tom Hanks flick called That Thing You Do. Yes, sir. And Grissom is in it, yep. played by Brian Cranston in a very brief role before it, it he blew me out. up. Yep. Wow. So that, that's pre-Malcolm in the middle, pre-Breaking Bad for sure. <laughs> this is the era when he's doing voices on Power Rangers, people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real quick, while well, I uh, I want to make one announcement for the fans real quickly. Actually, two brief announcements uh, very briefly here. Uh, I want you to think about uh, Casting Couch if you were going to make the Gus Grissom movie. Oh, okay. So think about that for a second here. But uh, I do want to say this again to the fans, uh, guys who have been donating to the Patreon. Thank you so much. Uh, it, it's really uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm honestly blown away by it because I'm putting in the work on the Patreon to figure out how to make everything go. Uh, I have a couple more questions. Ming's going to help me out with some stuff, he said. And uh, we're going to, I think what we'll do is we'll release the last Thursday of every month, we'll release the, uh, the, the Patreon exclusive episode. And I'm promising you guys, I will not put those episodes out um, for the, the general listeners. Um, Got it. Maybe, maybe months after, you know, something like that. We'll think about it. No, but, this is an exclusive thing. But for I want to, yeah, right now. I got to take care of the people that have just been taking care of us, man. That we appreciate you. Oh yeah, the reviews that we get on iTunes are fantastic. The written ones still help us a lot. If you feel into doing something like that, um, the messages I get interacting either on Instagram or Facebook or anything with the, the the fans of the show, it just means a lot. So thank you so much for that, guys. Um, next episode, I'm going to do a full shout out for everybody who's donated to the Patreon so far. It means a lot to me. It really does. So this episode I'm going to have released on the 12th of May. That'll be next Tuesday. Uh, then we'll crank out two more on the 19th and the 26th. I'll keep these coming out. We're back on our weekly schedule here. And I think what I want to do is I want to have that bonus one launched for the 28th. That's the last Thursday in May. And we'll have one for you for uh, Memorial Day weekend. We'll do something good. Make a, you know, make a little action out of it here for you. But, <laughs> um, but also, of course, thank you to Mike and Ming. Uh, for uh, letting us use this undisclosed location. Undisclosed, people. To yeah. record it. You have no idea where this is. <laughs> and I will ask that uh, we're going to do something similar again. We're working on the audio quality. We really are. As soon as uh, Kahuna and I wrap up over here, once he hits us with the casting couch, we'll do the send-off. Uh, the outro music's going to play, and then the next bonus episode should launch right up for you. That's just a brief Skype phone call with my father, who will be telling us the story of a, a certain space sandwich that caused some controversy for Gus Grissom and the boys. So that being said, you got a, a casting couch for us, bud? I do. So there was actually a movie in 2016 that had Grissom featured, but he wasn't really by uh, a name actor. It was a movie called Hidden Figures. But in that movie, uh, 
is who I would pick to play him, Kevin Costner. Ooh, that's a good one. I would pick Kevin Costner. I feel like he's he's got that like all American dude look, especially younger Kevin Costner. So like if I were to make this in the nineties, this would be like primo role for him. Yeah, and Costner plays a good um he plays a good ornery prick sometimes. So <laughs> And he's and and it's known Costner's kind of funny. Like he, he can he actually has some pretty good comedic timing. So I oh, feel he's like a, he's got a person you could tell that if there was a guy you wanted to have a beer with of like the '90s action stars, yeah. Costner's up there for sure. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'd go him. Second choice, honestly. Die Hard Days, Bruce Willis. Ooh, okay. That's my second. Well, you kind of got a little bit of that with Armageddon, I suppose, right? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. It's a, uh, uh, the soundtrack. But, <laughs> anyway. but yeah, that's no, that, my that's my casting couch for this one. Those were all good ones, man. I like that quite a bit. Um, I would say... Uh, Who would you cast as his wife? As the I'm going to throw that to you. Yeah. I, we're going to learn something about me, then, if we're going to do that. All uh, right. Old, old KP has a real bad Jennifer Connelly thing. <laughs> real bad. KP and Big Kahuna got a thing in common. <laughs> well, it, it's, she's just she's made for... It was like they designed her in a lab for me, almost. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's scary. She's, uh, she's Irish... Uh, uh, from her dad, I think, and then her mother was Jewish, and she went to like yeshiva education or so. So she's like, she's hyper smart. She's one of the most beautiful women on the planet, and it's it's creepy too because you see her when she's younger too, and you're just like, uh, what? When she was in <laughs> what, what movie was it with um, David Bowie? Oh. Labyrinth, right? Yeah, that's her in that movie. Yes, it and is. You, you can't believe it. She's just been in that field forever, and it's a. Uh, she's like a timeless beauty. She's like Diane Lane. It's one of her, her first movies. Like yeah, one of the very first few. But regardless, that's. Oh man, this is a great episode. This one was fun, dude. I, I want to tell this guy's story, and I, I think we did the right thing too. We still had our jokes in there, but we showed respect to the guy. So I'm happy about that one. But uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to sign off here. Stick around, guys. We're going to have uh, right after this will be the uh, the phone call with Larry. If the sound quality's bad, I'm really sorry. We're doing what we can here. It is technically still a pandemic, and Jersey's kind of ground zero for this ship. So we're working as best we can. But uh, as always, guys, thank you so much. That was Gus Grissom, American Loser. the day I was born.